Welcome back to another episode of Growth Marketers Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Rowe. Today, we had a special guest with us, Zach Winthy. He's actually, uh, it's an interesting job title. He is a CDP evangelist uh, for a company called Treasure Data. And uh, I think it's something that every company should have, by the way, is is an evangelist for their brand, for their brand category, to really educate the market. Um, That's our job as marketers is to be able to educate our customers on our value and ultimately why they need to to work with us and what kind of benefit we could have to their organization. So that's what he does full time. Uh, He shared a little bit about his role and what an evangelist means for organization how you can implement that into your organization. And then we really dove into the topic of data. He, his company is a, is a customer data platform. And we talked about the, the world that we live in today in terms of first-party data, zero-party data, you know, all the way down to uh, third and fourth-party data, how you can leverage that data to reach your customers in the right platform at the right time. So if you're really struggling with this concept uh, and you're trying to understand how you can have all your data in one place, how you can connect the dots, how you can serve the right message to your audience and reach them. I think this is a great place to start in terms of this podcast. And, and I think that that company, Treasure Data, might be a good place for you to go as well to find some more information. So please give us a like, subscribe to the podcast. Great conversation. So we'll dive right in. Enjoy. All right. Welcome back, everybody. We have a special guest with us today on the Growth Marketers Podcast. Today, we have Zach Winthy, and his title and role is CDP Evangelist at a company called Treasure Data. So, Zach, welcome. Thanks for joining us. First, let's unpack exactly what that role means, CDP Evangelist. You don't see that title too often. Yeah. So, you know, I sit in, I sit in part of our marketing org, and, you know, my role as an evangelist is talk about the category, uh, you know, of CDP, customer data platforms, it's relatively new. Um, I think it was coined originally in 2016, but, you know, marketers are buying it for the first time. You know, there's mm-hmm. still a lot of unknowns. So being able to go out there and talk about the why of CDP, what is it going to do? When do you need yeah. a CDP? You know, and and so I think there's a lot of, a, a lot of opportunity just to kind of have those conversations. And it's more than you know, there's so many blog posts, there's so many different, you know, opportunities for content, having somebody out there focused on, you know, telling stories. And, you know, I go to trade shows, I do podcasts, I do webinars, I do, you know, I speak on stage, whatever that, you know, whatever that is, you know, with, with the goal of evangelizing what, you know, what the category does, but also just to help marketers grow, right? The, mm-hmm. the marketer is my end, is my end target audience. So it's, it's also about just, you know, kind of working with them, sharing that back within the org so that we can say, you know, Hey, this is what I'm hearing on the street. This is what's going on. I'm not tied to our sales org though. My goal is to help grow, grow them. I'm, I'm more of an independent. I've been there. My background is marketing. Um, so I can kind of speak from a, you know, a point of uh, authority in, in, you know, in the space. Absolutely. Uh, and for all of our listeners, if you're, if you're not aware, CDP stands for uh, customer data platform, correct? Yes. Yep. Okay, perfect. Um, so uh, I want to talk a little bit more about this role of uh, evangelists internally at, at organizations. You know, you and I talked offline, but if you're a listener of the podcast and you've listened to any of our yearly annual predictions that we do in the marketing space, uh, for the last couple of years, I've actually predicted this role of brand evangelist was going to grow and was going to be a priority for a lot of organizations, particularly organizations that are focused on demand gen. Because if we look at we're creating a new product category. Our focus or our goal as marketers is to educate our market. 
and you ask yourself, you know, what's the most effective way to do that? What does that look like in a perfect world? I think it'd be pretty easy to draw a line from that to, well, it would be great if we had just had, if we, you know, if we could afford and we could justify somebody full-time that's just focusing on being an evangelist for our organization and really for, in your case, a product category. You're really trying to push forward this awareness about CDP and then ultimately simultaneously drive demand for your solution, right? And that's what our jobs are as marketers when we talk about demand gen. But if you have somebody focused on creating content, going to events, and just really growing the overall awareness of the product category, again, that's really what it would look like in a perfect world. And admittedly, I I don't think the position has grown as fast as I, I thought it would. But tell me about how you got into this role, how long you've been in this role, and what you've seen other organizations doing in terms of your peers or your counterparts at other organizations. Yeah. So great question. I mean, I think my background, I started my career in marketing and then I I spent many years in, you know, in consulting. So doing implementation, you know, kind of sitting alongside marketers who are putting in some technology or doing some change management, running digital strategy programs. So, you know, kind of really in the weeds in Mm -hmm. a lot of different ways and a variety of, of industries and organizations. And so, Coming out of that, I, I, I'm able to take a lot of that that knowledge and say, hey, oh, I've seen it in CPG. I've seen it in retail. I've seen it in oil and gas. I mean, like the most sometimes the most random, you know, companies and industries and, you know, different things. And so being able to kind of distill all that knowledge down was, you know, was a big driver in my consulting career. And then I moved over into the product world, ran teams within, within pre-sales doing demos and presentations and, you know, kind of solutioning and and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so all of those things kind of came together and I kind of like you saw this opportunity and I kind of see this idea of that's great, but there needs to be somebody who's out there educating. Right. And and so that's really was when I, when I came to treasure data, actually I pushed for, I sit in part of the marketing org. I sit in the product marketing world. Right. So my job is around helping enable internally and now really enabling externally. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and saying that this is the, this is a category, there's, there's knowledge. We need to be able to go out and, and share that expertise because as marketers are buying, you know, a, a CDP for the first time, or, you know, just really honestly trying to navigate the changes over the last two or three years. Um, I think having somebody in their corner and kind of at these events and, you know, we, we talk about, oh yeah, I've been there. I've done this. Have you thought about this? Just even beyond our brand, even beyond anything else, just you know, having that that connection at a at our organization, I think builds a lot of a lot of rapport, and I think that's a great opportunity for a lot of brands. Mm-hmm. But then beyond that, yeah, they're you know having a subject matter expert. It's always great when you have your CMO out, you know, or CEO out talking, and and we do we have. I mean, that's still a, a huge you know content area, but it's a very different schedule. It's a very different availability, right? Our CEO's got, got a, right. a, you know, a much more important day job than me. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I get to go out and do a lot of webinars and podcasts and, 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 you know, and be, be available. We do a lot of PR outreach, all these, you know, all these different things. And so having to be able to kind of jump in and, and own that, that narrative is a big part of the gap I fill. Yeah. And we talk with our clients all the time about owning their category in terms of content and becoming a publication for their industry, essentially turning their website or their digital um, digital platforms into like the Wikipedia for their industry is kind of the term that we use a lot. And the pushback that, you know, inevitably you get from a lot of organizations is we don't have the time, right? Uh, or we, you know, when we say, well, who could be the subject matter expert on this topic? 
they have it, right? They have an engineer internally or they have the CMO, the CEO, um, their best salesperson a lot of times is the one that's in the weeds on the front line that, that can have those conversations in depth. But like you mentioned, they're wearing so many hats. And you know, if you're talking about going to events, you're talking about doing webinars, you're talking about selling at scale, essentially is what you're talking about, you're educating the market yep. at scale. And the role of sales has changed uh, over the last few years. And we're seeing a big shift, particularly in the way software you know, companies sell and tech companies sell. If you have a product that you can do some sort of a demo or something like that, the way that we as buyers are making decisions you know, marketing's job is kind of to educate the market and sales role has shifted more towards just facilitating that sales process, right? So if you have your best salesperson essentially, and they can only have a you know finite number of conversations each day, and you take something like what we're doing now, it's that's infinitely scalable, right? If a million people watch this podcast, in theory, right, there's no limitation to, you know, our time in the way that we're creating content like this. So I see a, a huge shift in that happening. I, I think it's going to continue to happen that way, but I, it's, you know, something that's com- maybe, uh, you know, invaluable, right, for most organizations. And it's hard to maybe even measure at this point. But if you're going to focus on trying to create a content engine at your organization and you can't afford to hire somebody that is just dedicated to doing that, is to educating the the market and, and being an advocate for your customers and for your brand, I think it's a, a no-brainer. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's one of those things that you can grow into, right? I mean, I think mm-hmm. having a dedicated resource, part of my role, you know, is, is enablement, you know, externally to marketers, but I also do kind of the same thing internally, right? I work yeah. with our sales teams, our pre-sales orgs around telling the right story, you know, connecting, you know, connecting the, the features and benefits to the emotion that the marketer's feeling, creating those narratives, creating those pitch decks. And so, I'm still creating content. It's just my audiences shift around from day to day. So I'll yeah. I'll be writing a blog post for an external thing, and then I'll turn and I'll work on a on a pitch deck and kind of refine our so that so that the rest of our team can go out and you know and tell that story. And so there's probably people in a lot of the orgs who are doing those kind of things. And so yeah. if you're not ready for you know an externally facing, get somebody who's not afraid of being on camera, and not being afraid of creating some content, and just you know empower them to do it. And and yeah. you'll find a lot of orgs are finding that brand advocacy or the evangelism or whatever, you know, whatever version you, you kind of jump into is driving revenue. It's driving pipeline, you know, it's driving engagement. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, and the companies that have figured that out are the ones that are winning right now. And I think other brands are going to start to to catch up and invest into that. But if you can, you know, get that first mover advantage, then I definitely recommend it. So actually probably a good transition into what, you know, Treasure Data does because we were talking about, you know, first party data and uh, the shift uh, that we're seeing that's happening, that's been happening over the last few years and I think it's going to continue to happen. So let's start with Treasure Data. Who are you and, and who do you service and and what do you provide? Yeah, so so Treasure Data is a enterprise customer data platform. And what that means is we work with mid-sized to very large complex organizations to help them combine all of their first party, third party, all their customer data into a single source of truth so that they can ultimately, you know, understand their customers better. Too often, most organizations have fragmented profiles, right? You have an email, you have some information in the email system, you have some email in a transactional system, there's some over in a CRM. And when you take that to a global organization, that that problem just gets multiplied by you know, 10 X, um, especially if there's multiple brands and, you know, business units involved. And so being able to create that connected customer experience, which is ultimately what we enable our customers to do is it only happens if you first have that foundation of like 
the full profile, right? And understand, because we've all been frustrated. We've all had that experience where, you know, we bought something, we didn't get the email or whatever. And we call customer support and they have no idea who you are. They have no idea that you even made a purchase. And then there's that, that frustrating, you know, kind of disconnect of that experience or even worse where it's like, well, yeah, you bought online, but that's a different division than our in-store person, you know, sure. kind of thing. And so you have to go through this channel. As a consumer, we deal with a brand, right? We don't yeah. deal with departments. We don't deal with divisions. Right. We deal with the the entire brand. And so, you know, enabling our customers, our brands to to have that one one team, one company kind of experience for for their customers um, starts with you know, kind of untying all the knots of, of the silos and point system data and bringing it all together and then making it actionable. Yeah, that's a perfect example, right? Because you do see that a lot. And as you mentioned, as consumers, we don't necessarily care who, oh, this company is the distributor for this area or, well, our customer service is outsourced to this company. It's like, I'm trusting you to make all of these decisions and make a better buying experience for me as a consumer. So I don't care who's handling what, I just want it to be taken care of. And everybody could probably think of a couple of brands off the top of their head of, of terrible experiences that are kind of notorious for that. So I definitely see how tying all that data into one place could gain visibility. Now, of course, as the, as the company's organization, you have to put the right processes in place to make sure that you're giving the right customer experience. So I want to dive a little bit more into this idea of data management, the importance of first-party data, understanding kind of second-party data and all these other data sources and, and bringing it into one place. So I think a lot of times when people think about, particularly in the in the B2B space, right, when we talk about first-party data, I think that your email list is kind of like the first thing that, that comes to mind. So when we talk about data, what exactly do we mean? What kind of data points can we connect into this type of platform? Yeah. So maybe we start with defining what all those data, uh, first party, second party, third party is, and even zero party. So sure. the definition, so zero party data is now Forrester's kind of said is anything that the customer gives you, preferences, interests, they fill out a survey, they've handed it over explicitly to help the experience, help make the experience better. Sure. First party data is anything you collect in the, in business, right? So if somebody buys online, they put in their, their name, their address, their shipping information, that's all first party data. Second party data is something is first party data that some other partner organization has collected and is sharing with you. So maybe if you're working with a distributor and they collected information on you know your behalf, or you guys have a joint venture and you're sharing that information with each other. And then third party is generally aggregate or potentially anonymized or data that some third party organization has collected and is either sharing, selling, making available to your organization, um, typically for the purposes of enrichment, for targeting, but you as the the consumer didn't necessarily know when you were giving that information where it would end up. Mm-hmm. And that's the crux of where we see these ideas of you know third-party data and, and cookies going away and all this kind of fear. It's that, it's that, that's the reality. It's the, I gave information that I didn't know where it was going to end up that a lot of people are trying to kind of claw back and and pare back on and and, and focus on that zero party, first party, and, and maybe even second party data. Mm-hmm. You know, I think as consumers, right, this is ever evolving. I think uh, at first, everyone was kind of wanted their privacy and was everyone was a little bit scared of, you didn't want to tell people who you were on the internet and everything needed to be anonymous. And then we kind of realized everyone was sharing our data 
And actually now with advertisers and the targeting parameters that certain platforms have, it's actually a little more convenient, right? I mean, in terms of the content that you're fed, the ads that you, you're you fed, I mean, it's typically, it is stuff that you're interested in compared to just com- being completely random in terms of ads. But as marketers, it's actually becoming more and more difficult because guidelines are changing, regulations are changing. Uh, we see platforms like Facebook and Google drastically changing what you're able to do in terms of your targeting which has made it a little bit more difficult to, you know, it's hard to say, maybe difficult to reach our audience, or it's just a little more difficult to track and and measure. So what shifts have you seen in terms of, you know, organizations leveraging this type of data for marketing purposes? Has there been a bigger shift towards trying to collect more first-party data than, you know, leaning on third and fourth-party data because of these changes in platforms and targeting? Absolutely. I think there's huge shifts in organizations trying to get to to first party or just to get to closer personal relationships with a consumer or as personal as you can get. Because ultimately, when you're entirely dependent on third party data, you are you're at the mercy of all of those platforms. Right. And you're at the mercy of how they choose to allow you to have access. Right. What they choose to charge you, which I think even pre the privacy thing, I think there were a lot of brands that were figuring out, well, third party is way more expensive because I have to pay. There's so many middlemen in collecting that data a lot of times that you you end up your CPMs or your you know your customer acquisition costs were, were significantly higher than they were if you were doing other other types of of direct, you know, acquisition of uh, you know of customers. And and so I think there's always use cases for anonymous targeting and, and whatnot. But I think Marketers have also started to say, we did third party because we didn't have an alternative, right? We didn't have the method of collecting all this first party data and using it efficiently and then using that, you know, server side to go and do follow up. We didn't like a lot of those tools didn't exist. Um, uh-huh. So anonymous was just the the norm. Now we've started to see technology catch up. You know, companies are able to do, you know, more one to one you know, tracking of their customers in a respectful, transparent, you know, and, and privacy compliant way where they're not necessarily, they don't need to rely only on third party. And it's becoming a, you know, it's becoming a competitive advantage for those who are doing that. Because mm-hmm. now, for example, few, now almost a year and a half ago now, right? You know, iOS 14.5 came out with, right. from Apple. Apple said, hey, you can't, we're going to give people the option of opting out of, of all these tracking and, and third party and cookies and, we saw the huge drop in in revenue from you know from Facebook because it it significantly hurt how they were attributing attributing all of the yeah. uh, conversion rates and, and and everything and so but take that multiply that by a pandemic multiply that by people changing their buying behavior for example CPG is a great example of people who have adopted and kind of gotten really excited about about first party data. They used to focus on their distributors, right? Oh, we'll have an end cap at the, we'll have an end cap at the grocery store. We'll do some, you know, in merchandising, and that'll be enough to influence people to buy. Well, now if you're not walking into a grocery store, you're buying online, or you're yeah. that whole method of marketing went away for a couple of years. Yeah, and so we're starting to see them really start to shift and push. Even if they're not, they don't own the the transactional still in a lot of scenarios. They're trying to build that brand affinity and that connection so that they can influence those buying decisions before people pick up their phone and, and order their groceries in an app instead of you know walking into a store. Hey, thanks for listening. Solomon here. Are you frustrated? 
because you're not getting enough inbound leads. You're worried that the leads that you're getting are not qualified, or maybe you're disappointed in the conversion rate from the leads to customers, right? It's really, really low. Well, I got good news for you. I talk to business owners every single day. You're not alone, all right? Businesses go through this when there is a lack of strategy sometimes, uh, maybe the approach isn't appropriate for your situation, or sometimes you got all of those things right, but it was just poor execution. I'll tell you what, head over to oneims.com and fill out one of our forms. Talk to one of our consultants. That's all we do. We talk to business owners day in and day out. Share with us your challenges and see if we're a fit, right? See if we can find you a solution to your growing pains. You know, our hope here at OneIMS, and especially with this podcast, is to give you the tools, the technology, the ideas, the strategies, everything we possibly can for you to succeed. All right, so thank you for listening and let's get back to our topic for the day. Yeah, that's a perfect example. And, you know, CPG companies have done this historically in terms of like customer loyalty programs and those type of things, but never really had to focus on that, right? Because like you said, they could influence you at that, that key moment when you're actually putting stuff in your cart which is a little bit more difficult to do now, right? If, if you're you know, using Instacart or shopping online or whatever that may be. So yeah, I mean, I, again, you mentioned iOS 14. I mean, the thing is, is like, yes, consumer behavior changed and yes, the attribution changed. But if you look back to what it's actually, what we're actually doing is like, were you still able to serve your ad to that audience? Like, was it still effective? That, that was a little bit unknown, right? We saw big changes in that attribution. And like you said, the ROI was maybe not there, but you know, maybe the technology on the attribution just hadn't caught up yet. Right. So, but that happened you know, a couple of years before that, right? Where Facebook kind of got in trouble for their, the way they were being able to target people is a little bit too personalized. So I think it's always going to evolve, but the thing that's not going to change is these platforms are going to continue to keep expanding. There's more and more platforms, there's more and more tools and technologies and more and more data points. We're spending more of our time online across all these different devices, different channels. So as customers, consumers, whether you're B2B, B2C, there's so many different data points and we need somewhere to, you know, some way to organize this data and bring it all together. And I, from my understanding, I think that's kind of what your, your platform does, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the third party problem is, you know, it's a problem, it's ad targeting and, and whatnot, but there are so many other opportunities, right? The goal is to build that, that you know, I mean, all marketers' goal is to kind of build a closer relationship with their customers, right? At, sure. at the end of the day, because we know that that helps drive, you know, revenue, we know it helps drive buying decision, brand affinity, whatnot. But now if I am, yeah, I'm, I'm navigating and I'm sitting, I've got a computer, I've got an iPhone, I've got a tablet, I've got all these different devices, and I still, as a consumer, set an expectation based on other brands that I deal with. When other brands are doing it, I expect everybody to do it, right? It's even subconsciously, even if it's not kind of a rational thought, you know, you start to kind of create that little mental scorecard in your head when you're when you're dealing with a brand and and you're like, oh well, this is hard. I have to get my information three times. I have to, yeah. you know, log into this system and log into that system and they don't know who I am. And I've spent thousands of dollars. How, you know, how dare they? Well, we we eventually, if we're too far in the negative, we check out and yeah. we're in an environment now, both economically, um, but just the world is such a smaller place. There's so much competition. There's so much opportunity to, you know, replace any brand. And I think 
that was already starting. The pandemic, I think, accelerated that concept in people's minds because when their favorite store wasn't available, they were like, well, okay, I've got to do something. And they're like, oh, this wasn't too bad. It wasn't as painful to shift and 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 switch, right? So the the switching cost became a lot easier in people's minds. And and so I think the world now is in this mode where, hey, I'm brand affinity is important, mm-hmm. but I'm also I want I want it to be easy. I want it to be convenient. I want it to be cost effective. And so people are more willing to make changes. And so the brands who are doing, you know, connected customer experience as well are are much more successful and are much, you know, have a much higher retention rate as opposed to those who are still kind of focusing on, you know, growth and acquisition and, and, you know, not worrying too much about, uh, you know, kind of that existing customer relationship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And maybe this isn't something you can share in terms of your customers, but in maybe your personal experience, can you give me a couple examples of the, that brands that are really nailing this in terms of that connected customer experience? You know, I think there's a lot of examples of, uh, you know, companies that are, are are doing it well and it and well is dependent on kind of what their, you know, what their goal is. Um, mm-hmm. But I think when you think about, for example, in the automotive space, right? So Subaru is one of our customers and, you know, they've, they've seen that you know, customers don't come and shop in, in the store anymore, right? Instead of, instead of coming into a, a dealer, you know, five, six, seven, eight times to, you know, research and then shop. All of this is happening online and all of it's happening and they're only coming in one or two times at the end of the experience. And so this whole ecosystem that was built around the idea of getting people into a dealership to purchase is now how do we follow them online? How we give them information? How do we enable them? Because we only have one opportunity when they walk into the store, right? And one of the things that that they found is that shift predicting whether somebody's going to buy or not. If you ask the salesperson, right, a salesperson would would rate typically much higher, right? But when we use machine learning on that data, we were way more accurate in right. the, the likelihood to buy. And that allowed Subaru to then say, hey, these people are really high, high to buy. We're going to target them in this way. These are less likely to buy. We're going to target them in a different way because it, they can kind of target and talk to people based on where they are in the customer journey. And then even more importantly, after purchase, right, follow up getting them out of cycles because nothing's more annoying than seeing ads for a car you just purchased. Right. So mm. getting them out of, out of ad cycles, getting them into service cycles, you know, and being able to follow through and, and create, and Subaru's got one of the highest repurchase rates in, you know, in the industry. Mm. So what it comes down to is, is saying, you know, what does our customers want and expect and what are they doing? And then how do we use technology, use data to kind of fill in those, those gaps. So we have more, meaningful conversations with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting example because from my experience or my knowledge, I'm not sure with Subaru specifically, but you know, that manufacturer to dealership relationship is typically pretty disjointed, right? The dealerships are owned individually and they're kind of responsible for their own marketing. And certainly they get marketing materials from the manufacturer or dealers group, but there's not a lot of connection there, right? There's the manufacturer run a kind of a global or nationwide campaign, maybe a regional campaign, but each dealer is kind of on their own to make the sales. And like you said, probably the salespeople don't know who to focus on, don't know who to follow up with. They don't have any data unless they're, you know, an advanced independent dealership that has all this technology and data and they typically don't. So having the ability to connect all that and then smoothing out that relationship between the national or global marketing organization and then the, the grassroots, you know, boots on the ground kind of salespeople 
there's no way you couldn't look at that and say, well, that definitely improves both the outcomes in terms of our revenue and then ultimately the customer experience, which is the end goal at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And we're seeing a lot of automotive, the OEMs really start to invest in that idea of, hey, how do we facilitate that handoff to the dealerships and, and benefits everybody? But obviously, you know, the OEMs have the resources to put into it. So it's it's definitely a huge growth area. But that same story is going on in, you know, multiple verticals. Yeah. So let's shift a little bit in terms of the acquisition demand gen side. If, if you're a marketer listening to this and you're trying to figure out how we can reach our audience, I mean, it's one thing to have actual customer data, meaning people that are have purchased from in the past. It, it's easy to know that we already have some implicit and explicit data from these individuals because they're customers. But in terms of reaching our potential customers or our ideal customers in terms of that audience, let's say we're using you know Facebook ads, we're using Google ads, we're running ads on YouTube. We're using maybe a, a third-party delivery platform like an ad roll or yep. you know, some sort of ABM platform. We're running all these different marketing campaigns. On top of that, we're, we're doing everything organic, right? And so we're posting content and we're doing exactly what we're doing right now through organic channels. How does a, a CDP help you reach that audience? How does it help you, you know, that entire customer journey once they do uh, convert and see those different touch points? Yep. Are there, are there certain scenarios there that you think would be important for somebody focusing on that acquisition? Yeah. So I think there's a couple opportunities where if we go with the logic that, hey, it's going to get harder to target in a one-to-one scenario. So we've got to get more creative in how we, you know, how we reach those audiences. Having data about your, your, your past customers gives you a whole lot of insight into what to do in the future, right? And so I think been a given, but it's been harder and harder to collect that. There's so many channels bringing it together. So Two very simple examples. One is if you know in a geography, a region, a, an area, what is typically your point of entry, right? So if you're a, let's say a retailer, um, mm-hmm. you know, and you're and you're and you know that this is kind of the high value first entry product. So in the Pacific Northwest, everybody buys product A or a majority. Mm-hmm. Use that in your social. Use that in your mm-hmm. organic outreach. Use you know focus on that in your in your advertising, because that is a product that people have interest in, right? And so now you're Mm -hmm. taking purchase behavior and actual, um, you know, purchase information and using that now in organic channels and influencing kind of that, you know, that content strategy, or maybe being more affinitive to your customer. So I'll give you an example of one of our customers. So they do prepackaged like healthy meals, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, delivered to your, delivered to your Mm -hmm. door. And, you know, they had three or four kind of personas and groups and, you know, who they, who they, you know, kind of agreed with, but they always had kind of this, this argument internally of like, who was the highest priority, who, who should they focus on? And if you looked at their advertising, you looked at their imagery, they were really going after the athlete, the marathoner, the cyclist, you know, the, um, the CrossFitter, because, you know, that's, that was where they were, you know, the healthy meal side of it is what they were focused on. Well, when they took all that transactional data and they, layered in demographic data, psychographic data, um, you know, the multi-touch attribution, what kind of content were they engaging with? What they found out was actually the highest engaged audience and the the most valuable audience was an aging parent. It was somebody who had, um, you know, maybe kids in high school or, you know, recent empty nesters who weren't cooking big meals anymore. They were on the go a lot. They want, they, but they wanted to eat healthy. They didn't want fast food. They didn't want to, you know, get something out. So they wanted something quick, easy, but, but healthy with, you know, either maybe a keto with paleo or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so if you looked at their ad, ad you know, their ad inventory, it was really yeah. going to be a cyclist or runner or whatever, but that's right. not who's buying. 
And so despite that, they were still doing well, but there's still a lot of opportunity to say, hey, let's change our content up. Let's reposition and and refocus on, you know, on this audience. And so just having some understanding allows you to go out and say, okay, I'm going to target these kind of people. So now maybe I, I can't go out and have that super targeted audience in Facebook, you know, anymore. Um, they, they've taken away a lot of those, those interest categories and whatnot, but I at least know my general, I can go very broad demographics and know right. that I have, you know, interest in this age bracket, right? We can, we can assume age from that information. We can assume, um, you know, lifestyle from that information. So we can still do interest targeting. And that is a huge, uh, you know, I think opportunity because a lot of brands have found out that, um, interest and affinity kind of category targeting is just as effective as the, the one-to-one, you know, kind of deep, um, you know, very complex audience segments. Um, they tend yeah. to work out about the same. Yeah. Because, you know, those platforms, you know, whether they allow you to specifically select those targeting parameters or not, they have the data on you, right? Google, right. Facebook, they know what your interests are, your behaviors are. Um, but you brought up a good point, which a lot of companies I see don't do, right? They'll, they'll test a particular channel, let's say, for example, and we'll say, you know, we ran ads in this channel for X amount of time and, you know, it didn't really work for us. So now they'll write that off and Facebook doesn't work for us or, you know, we haven't really had success with YouTube ads or something like that. But all those variables, so many variables that you just outlined in terms of the targeting, the messaging, the audience, the platform, the delivery in terms of, is it a video? Is it a text? Is it a image? All those kind of things, the frequency, the duration, um, and that example that you shared is perfect because a lot of times people believe, you know, Hey, we have this perfect product and we know that this product is for this audience because that's why we created it. So all the messaging is there and then the targeting is there. And in fact, they were in that scenario, they're probably off on two areas, the messaging and the targeting was off because they're they had the wrong messaging right. to the wrong people in terms of, it's not that the product wasn't valuable. It's that the way that they were promoting it was maybe the wrong way or the, or there was more value found in that demographic than the other demographic. So a lot of times as marketers, we need to kind of step back and, and just be logical a little bit first and then think, okay, well, how can we apply this logic with the tools and technology that we have in terms of targeting? What would that look like? And you have to test, right? At the end of the day, we always say, you know, the data is really going to to drive the strategy. So you can come up with all the hypotheses that you want in terms of what uh, what direction or who we think is going to benefit from this. But you need to you need to be able to be wrong uh, mm-hmm. and and you know get your ego out of the way and and be able to test and see what works and what doesn't work. Uh, and let the the data drive that, um, because ultimately uh, we live in in this world where the data is so available to us. We just have to be able to read between the lines and understand what it's telling us. Yeah, well, and and I think the other side of it is, like you said, get the ego out of the way. Sometimes it's you know once you're collecting all this information, you can start to let the machine do the work, right? Machine learning mm-hmm. is a great and one of the easiest areas of opportunity that that we 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 find our customers kind of leveraging is like next best channel. What is the channel that this audience is going to engage on? So mm-hmm. like you said, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, take take your pick. Like if you're running the right ad with the right message to the wrong channel, and that's not a channel that that segment of the audience is going to engage on, you're spending ad dollars that won't ever succeed. And that's just because that's not where they're at. They may follow you on Facebook because they like your brand, but that doesn't mean that they're going to click on the ad or follow through until it gets into their email inbox, right? And when it's in their email inbox, that's when they focus. 
and a different audience, maybe the exact opposite, right? They shop out of Facebook or they shop out of Instagram. Um, and so, so understanding that the segments of your audience, even, even in the same, you know, affinity, right? So that, that aging parent, there may be micro segments and being able to drill down and say, okay, this is the group that likes Instagram. This is the group that likes Facebook. This is the group that likes email. This is the group that likes SMS, whatever. Um, and being able to kind of micro target is, is a huge part of the customer data platform because we make that data available to the marketer so they can start to run those ad hoc segments and tests and see, and, you know, rather than call their IT team and say, Hey, can you try to pull some data together? And it takes two weeks and you, you kind of missed your deadline, right? It's Mm -hmm. now you have the data at your fingertips in your browser and you can start to kind of play around and start to build data driven ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you think we're kind of running to the end of our time here, but um, we certainly appreciate you you joining us. And I think everyone listening to this, you know, we've been hearing about big data for years and years. And now a lot of companies are obviously starting to figure out, well, how we can actually leverage this data. And it's uh, not so not so big and abstract anymore. It can be very, very specific. And we can get, like you said, very valuable particular insights out of exactly what's going on and what our customers are doing and what they prefer. So uh, where can people that are listening to this go to find out more about Treasure Data and maybe see a demo or learn more about if it might be a good fit for their business? Yeah, absolutely. Treasuredata.com. Just you can click on request a demo right there. You can watch some videos about us. Uh, we're on all, obviously, all the social you know channels and whatnot. Or if you have questions or you just want to understand if this is right for you, I'm on LinkedIn all of the time. Uh, it's Zach Winthy, W-E-N-T-H-E. You know, connect with me, send me a message. And I'm, I'm happy to continue this conversation. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're not ready to, to jump into the sales cycle, but you want some perspective on, you know, what you're trying to do, um, you know, you're happy to, I'm, I'm happy to field those conversations as well. Awesome. Well, again, I appreciate it, Zach. Thanks for for joining us. Thanks for sharing these insights with our audience. And uh, if you're listening to this, thanks for tuning in. And of course, uh, please give us a like, subscribe to the podcast and uh, share this with a friend or a colleague that, that needs to hear this message. Thanks so much. All right. So if you enjoyed this episode, here are five things that you could do to help us. Number one, make sure you click that subscribe button so you never miss another show. Number two, share this with a friend that you know needed to hear this. And three, leave us a comment. We love hearing your thoughts, your ideas, things that you've learned so others can learn from you. And four, if you have a topic that you'd like us to cover, let us know so we can put that in our notes and share our insight All right, for our next episode or the one after that. And finally, you guys, join other growth marketers. Head over to oneims.com and check out all the resources that we have made just for you. I'm talking guides, webinars, blogs, videos, anything that could help you become a growth marketer. All right. So thanks a lot for joining us this week on the Growth Marketers Podcast, and I will see you next time.